0: Welcome to On the Road with Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer from the Idle Chatter family of podcasts. I invite you to jump in and join me. Along the way, we will get to know some really interesting people and their stories. Be it farming or firing orders, these folks are passionate about growing things or making horsepower. So let's get this bad boy fired up and head off to destinations unknown. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to On The Road. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And as always, we have an extremely special guest. And this gentleman is in Iowa. I'm in New Jersey. We're doing this over a telephone connection. And we did have a little bit of technical difficulties in the beginning. Uh, So I had sent him my uh, Rode headset to plug into his phone, and we weren't 100% happy with the sound quality just to who knows why. And then so... But this gentleman is a physician's assistant, a farmer, a John Deere collector. He teaches in a medical school. So what he did is he moved offices. He's actually in the hospital right now. So you got a guy on Cat Swamp Road, and you got a a, a physician's assistant in a hospital, and we're all on the road together. And our guest today is going to be Mr. Joel Rand. And an interesting thing is that in a few weeks And down the road i'm gonna have his brother on the podcast mr nathan rand who is a veterinarian so you got these two guys that farm and both are in different aspects of the medical field but i'm gonna bring him on so joel thank you so much for being with us on the road
1: well, thank you, Ray, very much as well. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm glad we were fi- finally able to get it on the books.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been uh, like a year since we've been planning this, and just uh, life seemed to get in the way, and uh, I know that you're a scuba diver, and you were traveling, and things were happening on my end, and uh, and it's just, uh, but hey, they say that good things come to those that wait, and I know that your show, I mean, your, show your episode, and your story is going to be a real blessing to our audience, and... Uh, I know a tiny bit about it, but I'm going to ask you to go from the beginning because, because I don't think that you grew up on a farm, did you?
1: No, I did not. Actually, I was a city boy.
0: Well, uh, from well, let me. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to bust your chops. I mean, other than Des Moines, there's really not much of a city in Iowa when you come from New Jersey. So, where did you where did you grow up?
1: So I moved around quite a bit, actually. My brother, my father, and uh, I were following my father as he moved up in the world of education from teacher to principal to superintendent, and that took us all over the state of Iowa. So when I was in high school, we were in Des Moines, Iowa, and so I pretty much consider that to be home base. But luckily, our family farm, which was just about 45 minutes north of there, we also had that to consider home base. Um, when I was in high school, while other people I knew were doing FFA, I was singing in the choir and doing drama and all of those things that a city kid does during the year. But then in the summertime, I was out with my grandparents and we were baling hay and uh, taking care of the cattle and all of those things. So it was a very nice balance. But uh, I have been in Iowa my whole life, just many different areas in Iowa.
0: Now, where in Iowa do you live now? I know you had told me in the past, but I get confused.
1: So we're about 40 minutes east in a small town town called newton iowa oh, newton. and if anyone is familiar with maytag washing machines that's where maytag came from before they uh sold out and were bought up by the other company that now runs maytag and i'm sure the the factories have been moved out of the united states but for a time newton was a real booming community uh because of maytag
0: right and and we had a, uh, a when charlton and i got married our first washing machine was a Washington Dry was a Maytag Neptune, and it was a real Maytag from Newton, Iowa. And I think Mr. Maytag was a dairy farmer. Wasn't he originally a dairy farmer?
1: Yes, yep, because they still have the Maytag farm, and they make a blue cheese that is just tremendous. If you like blue cheese, I'm not a big fan, but uh, it is actually nationally recognized as one of the best.
0: Wow, that's a, that's very interesting. Yeah, and Whirlpool owns a Maytag now, so we have a, uh, we got a, uh, a, f- a phony Maytag, we got a, a Whirlpool Maytag, <laughs> but uh, I remember I was so excited about buying that Newton, Iowa uh, built Maytag, but so now this family farm was on your mom's side or your dad's side?
1: My mother's side. Yep, it's where she grew up. They moved there in the early fifties, fifty-two or fifty-three. She was seven years old okay. at the time, and uh, it was it was an excellent place for me to learn a lot of things, not only about farming, but just how to be a man and how to have a good work ethic and oh. all of those things that have molded me throughout my life.
0: So, now is that the farm that you're? Is that the farm that you that you're living on and farming with your brother right now?
1: Yes. My brother moved there uh, in the late 90s, and he lived with my grandmother until uh, her health caused her to be uh, moved into a nursing facility. Uh, he's been there ever since. So I'm about a half hour away from there but okay. on a day to day basis. You know, he's the one who's feeding the cows and right. uh, taking care of the day-to-day things.
0: Okay, so you're about a half hour away. Okay, and and now, yeah. Uh, so, so the farm is the farm in Newton, or do you or do you live in Newton?
1: So I live in Newton. My wife and I have 25 acres. Okay, but we don't have any animals there. She did okay. not necessarily want the flies and the uh, smell of money. <laughs>
0: yeah 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 so do you <clears throat> do you farm anything on those 25 acres
1: i have 10 <laughs> acres that i make <laughs> hay on okay. and then the remainder is wooded and we had a very nice pond for many years but with the year after year after year of drought unfortunately it has uh, become more of just a marsh now oh, okay. so there's no more good bass fishing but uh yeah i do make hay on that 10 acres and i keep it weed free and i fertilize it and we take that hay up to the farm then i've got a flatbed okay neck that i load up with 11 or 12 bales and it's just a couple of different trips works out very nicely
0: now the uh the farm the the the, the oh we'll call it the main farm okay what, what do you guys call it? you call it the main farm you just call it the, eh, farm. the farm okay yeah, so the, the far- farm the farm so uh you raise cattle there, so you don't really raise any crops on that other than other than cattle, correct?
1: So we have the hay and we have the cattle. Okay. It is quite hilly, so the government would consider it highly erodible land. It was in conservation reserve for quite okay. a while when my grandparents lived there. Yeah. So we decided we did not want to do any tillage and watch our topsoil wash down right. into the creek. So that's why we've locked it all into forage. Pasture and cattle at this point, point. Okay. and uh, a cattle farm has a lot more fences on it than right. what a row crop farmer would like. So I think if ever we do end up having to sell, it'll probably go to a, a cattle person again. I hope, anyway.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Well, hopefully you don't you don't you don't sell. Now, what kind of on both on both properties? What kind of hay do you raise?
1: So it's a mix. At the farm, we are heavier in alfalfa. It's probably. 80 20 alfalfa grass now my patch at home has been there a long time and i haven't interceded any alfalfa back in so it is just brome and timothy and other okay. uh, pasture grass mix.
0: okay and, and what kind
1: our beef cattle
0: what kind of beef cattle are they uh,
1: they are mixed so we definitely have a lot of black carcass angus but we do like the hybrid vigor of having some other breeds mixed in as well so um there's some Gelby and Charlet and oh, wow. uh, such.
0: And how many head do you normally run?
1: It varies between 30 and 40, depending oh. on who we have to cull out for either dip, uh, disposition or if someone uh, is open. You know, we do our preg checking in December, and if the cows aren't doing their job, they've got to hit the road. So okay. I think we're right at about 33, 34 okay. right now
0: okay very very good that's excellent we're going to revisit this we're just we're just establishing to the audience that you're not all hat and no cattle as they say in texas you know what i'm saying right, so right. all right so now you have this this i'll call you suburban boy not city boy right so the suburban boy go. the suburban boy your dad is an education Did his did his fit that your grandparents on your dad's side did they have an agriculture any involvement in agriculture or no just on your mom's side
1: they didn't my dad's dad worked for the railroad actually so he was a hard worker but it was not in the field
0: okay okay so now what happens is that now correct me if i'm wrong because i just this guy from cat swamp road uh so so basically you're growing up in this suburban environment and you are going to spend uh summers and possibly some weekends helping your grandparents on the farm and uh, and obviously, you must have taken a liking to it, right? So go back in time to a young Joel. And do you have any recollections where you had that epiphany, that moment where you say, I really, really would like to have this type of life? I mean, you may not be, I'm, I'm not asking for a date, but lots of times there's some, there's some point in your life where it kind of has the inflection point and you decide that this is what you really like.
1: Absolutely. So. I never disliked school necessarily, but it became very clear to me that when the summer was over and it was time to return to school, if that was taking place prior to our making the last cutting of hay and I was going to miss that cutting of hay, I got very surly about that. <laughs> and so I do remember uh many labor days where we were going back to school, but I knew that the hay baler was going out to the field that same day and so that got me thinking really how am I going to be able to structure my life to incorporate farming but also a career off the farm because I knew that our farm was not large enough or diverse enough to bring me the kind of uh, revenue that would be able to support me my wife possibly my brother possibly a wife if he ever found one so I knew that the farming would probably always be a hobby, but I wanted it to be a very important hobby and a very important part of my life, which then did influence my decision to not become a physician, but rather a physician assistant, which I thought would most likely allow for some flexibility in my schedule, less schooling, Less responsibility and allow me to then stay very active in the farming, which I actually did even through all of my college and medical school training. I was working on the farm. I was working for a local farmer in Iowa city on his farrow to finish hog farm. When I got out of school and started my job, I was working lots of hours for a good friend of mine down in Newton. Actually, he was farming 1800 acres and so he needed a lot of help and I did as much as I could to help him with that as well. So wow, I've, I've kept quite busy with it.
0: Wow, and and, and you know I mean I'm gonna remove from your statement if we were in court I'd say I'd say to the jury, remove that from your mind, or however the lawyers say it. And I would say it's not a hobby form, it's a side business right so maybe your your love for it because there's nothing in agriculture that to your level that's a hobby other than even a, the other anything beyond the garden you know what i'm saying so if you run right, 40 right. 50 heads how many acres is the is the home farm
1: it's about 110
0: okay about 110 okay all right so and 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 from that how many acres of hay do you think you make about 65. Okay, so you run, and you're
1: running... the rest sp- then is pasture. You're
0: spending some time in the baler. So, all right, we're going to tu- turn the clock back. All right, so now you have young Joel that you're you you, you you're sitting in the... Cl- you're going back to school. September is here and school's got back and the hay baler's going to be going. And you're sitting in the classroom and uh, the the hay baler is going there each time. Did the hay baler have a kicker on it or did, it just put the, or did you have to throw the bales onto the wagon?
1: It was just throwing bales onto the wagon. Luckily, that was back at a time when you could find other kids who would be willing to do some hard work. Okay. Now I'd hate to have to do square baling. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, So, all right. So now that, so basically, with every with every bale that it, with every bail that I kicked, every bale that kicked out, it's uh, it's tugging at your heartstrings, right? You are over there back in the suburbs. Is that correct?
1: absolutely absolutely
0: yeah it's tugging at your heartstrings so now you get out of school and what was the impetus uh, or i don't want to put words in your mouth do you think that now did your when your grandparents had the farm were they milking cows were they beef cattle were they just row crops what, what were they doing
1: so they had row crops beef cattle they milked some cows okay they had chickens and hogs oh, so wow. it was a classic well diversified small farm that uh brought in enough families for my grandparents to raise three kids on
0: wow wow that's wonderful well, isn't it funny how the world has changed i mean years ago you figure uh a family uh, a husband and wife could have a farm like that and do all of that and raise a family and put them through school and be able to retire. And today you need 10,000 acres and you're hardly making it. It's, it's frightening, you know, it's frightening.
1: It is. And, and I'm not sure that, uh, all of the people who are running those 10,000 acres have embraced farming as a lifestyle no. like the older generation did as well. My no. grandfather was quite old fashioned. He still had two teams, of draft horses when i was a kid and actually the first time i raked hay was on a ground driven side delivery rake behind a team of percherons
0: wow boy you really went the full the full gamut so so now you're a young man you realize that you really have you have the uh the the soil underneath your fingernails but now what made you want to go to become a doctor
1: a desire to serve, for sure. My parents, when they first got married, were in the Peace Corps, okay. and they taught English, and they instilled in me a very strong desire to help people. And I found that I had some aptitude at math and science, and I always found the human body and all animals actually to be very interesting. It's the most complex, most interesting machine that we know of on Earth, and so I thought, well, I think medicine would be a good route. So I did my prerequisite work and then decided to go the physician assistant route versus uh, being a actual full-fledged surgeon because I did want to keep the ability for that. Right. Uh, that side job, not hobby, but side job, and uh, I also was very serious with my girlfriend, now wife. And what is her name? And we're not gonna, uh,
0: we got to tell me. She listened to the show. She didn't so, well, what's her name? Amber. Amber. Okay, Amber. We're gonna talk about her a little bit later. All right. So, so you put, you went and balanced balance us all together. Now, as a physician's assistant, all right. And I'm gonna just ask you to tell me and the audience again because I don't want to mess it up. But that is something that I believe when we spoke about a year ago on the phone, you told me was actually a positive outcome from the Vietnam War, that, that career path. Do I have that wrong? Correct,
1: yes. No, as the medics were returning from the Vietnam War, they had seen a lot, obviously. And they had skills, that were going to be very well utilized in a civilian nature, but there was no job actually created for non-physicians to see patients, evaluate patients, treat patients, write prescriptions, and do things fairly autonomously. And so Duke University in the mid-60s was also recognizing that there was a... Physician shortage at that time, and they needed a new role to be created so there could be what they're calling a mid level provider, not a physician, not a nurse, someone in the middle. And so Duke came up with the physician assistant profession, and they graduated their first class in the mid 60s, 65 or 66, and then other universities followed suit. Now, I went to the University of Iowa. And of note, when U.S. News and World Report rank their PA programs, it's always a number one, number two race between Duke and the University of Iowa. So I'm pretty proud that uh, we have one of the best PA programs in the state.
0: In the country, in the country, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the country, yeah. exactly. We have five in the state, but one of them is the one of the best in the country.
0: Wow, that, that's wonderful. So now, um, how did you find out about the you know and to the audience in case you can catch it, PA is their slang for physicians assistant. So, as a young man, how did you find out about this PA program?
1: When I started at the University of Iowa, I was doing all of the pre-med. biology, so and you're doing pre, like pre med, like chemistry. Like Yeah, right. Exactly. And I had actually planned on considering going to medical school for the full four years to become a physician. Um, but then as I was doing some of my volunteer work, you, you have to do a lot of volunteer work and get familiar with treating patients and medicine in order to be a good candidate to get into either medical school or PA school. And so I was working, uh, in the free clinic, in the University of Iowa setting, and I was encountering these providers who seemed to be very adept at what they were doing, but yet they were not physicians. And so I just started talking with them, and I found out more about the PA profession. So then I started shadowing them in other roles as well. The, The free clinic was their evening gig, just volunteering. So then I followed them during the day to their actual work, and I saw, wow, they're really making impactful differences to these patients' lives, but yet they're able to leave at 5 o'clock at night? That sounds okay. Yeah, that sounds, right. okay. yeah, yeah, that sounds um, good. Yeah, exactly. And it was during that time that the PA profession was still really ramping up, and there have been a lot of articles uh, online and in various uh, publications that say the the PA profession was, at that time, uh, projected to become 150 to 200 percent more popular as a line of work to go into. And so I don't know if my parents were ever concerned about the, the job satisfaction of it or the salary potential, because of course they're not, PAs don't make as much as physicians do, right. but I did not ever really think that that was going to be an issue. And Really, I couldn't be happier with my choice. I have gotten to do a lot of varied things in my career because the physicians who are practicing now have to do four years of medical school, but then they also have to do a certain number of years of a residency after that. And so that locks them into either family practice or surgery or ophthalmology, whereas a PA's education is very well-rounded, very primary care oriented and then after the two and a half years or whatever it is of school, you go into your practice and you learn more while practicing. And I have done a lot of different things. My first job was in psychiatry, actually, oh, wow. at the VA hospital in Des Moines. And uh, I was actually at the VA hospital when 9-11 occurred. And you can only imagine how the veterans uh, took that. Yeah. That was very interesting for us. I was 25 or 26 years old at that point. So I was basically just a kid and I'm seeing these veterans who have had issues with PTSD or substance abuse issues or mental health issues. And uh, we're watching 9-11 unfold together. Wow. So that was, that was very interesting and something I'll never forget. Um, but that's, that's an aside. Uh, so I've done psychiatry. I've done surgery. I've done primary care. I've worked in the emergency room. I've worked for uh, occupational health. Going out to various industries to evaluate their facilities for safety, uh, DeKalb Seed, um, Monsanto. Uh, there was a uh, gate and uh, gate hardware manufacturing plant I was taking care of as well. So uh, a lot of a lot of varied things, and the PA profession has allowed me to do that. Whereas being a physician would not have
0: wow that that, that's very very that's very very interesting so now as in iowa as a pa do you need to be licensed like a physician needs to be licensed
1: yes we take a board certification exam and we also have to have a medical license conferred by the state And up until this last year, we had to be paired with a physician or a group of physicians to list on our license as well as supervising physicians. Right. But actually, with this most recent legislative process, they have removed that tethering to allow PAs to be able to work in rural areas now where physicians may not want to relocate to so it has really allowed for more autonomy for PAs there are some stipulations they have to have been in practice for two years and they they do have some other things they have to do and I have mixed feelings about that you know it doesn't change the way I practice in surgery because I'm always with the surgeon or I'm at a clinic where there's readily accessible uh, ability to confer with people uh but, you know, I understand people working out in areas where there are serious physician shortages. They should not be tethered or hamstrung. We need to be able to get right. health care to all all people.
0: Just like on the Vietnam battlefield. Hey, you're a medic, right? And uh, don't care what, the, the, what his title is. He's the guy who's going to save your life well that's That's exactly right now now also and correct me if i'm wrong i don't know if you're still doing it but when we spoke last year um did you also teach in a medical school don't you
1: yes so we have a Medical School in Des Moines, Des Moines University, and it houses nine different programs. They have a podiatry program to learn to be a foot surgeon. They have the doctor of osteopathic medicine, which is nowadays really very Equivalent or at least very close right. to an MD, the allopathic medical doctor. Right. There are some subtle differences we could talk about, but it's not super important to know at this point. And then they also have a PA program there. And okay. so I, I left one of the large medical organizations here in Des Moines in 2012. And then shortly thereafter, I decided I wanted to do some medicine, but not clinical medicine. And so with the input from my folks and watching their uh, enjoyment of being teachers, I thought maybe I would be good at that as well. So I did sign on as full-time faculty at Des Moines University. And within a year, they had me moved up into the program director role. So that escalated quickly, but it was good for me. You know, they, they had some issues with their accreditation. And so I helped them work through that. I was also able to continue teaching full time. And if you ever a bit burned out on your career, but you still care about your career, seeing the young people entering it and their enthusiasm really fueled my fire again. So I I found that to be very good. So I do still teach. I don't teach full-time, but I'll bring students to the operating room, and I still go to the the campus and deliver lectures, and uh, I test students on their surgical skills because that is something I'm an expert in. You know, don't necessarily ask me how to do much of anything else but i can tie a knot uh,
0: like the uh, best uh, i know that you i know that you also work on your jaunt the attractors which we got to get to because you told me about that you i know? can definitely do uh, that yeah 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 uh, so now so basically in essence you're you do some uh, clinical work meaning a clinic right uh and then you are also in the operating room and i'm just curious because uh what would you do as far, so you're working with a surgeon what would he have you do if you don't mind saying
1: So the majority of my career in surgery has been with bariatric surgery, weight loss surgery. So we do gastric bypasses and sleeve gastrectomies. We used to put in lap bands, but those fell out of favor in about 2011, 2012. They found that they were not working as well as they had hoped. So if you look at The amount of obesity in America and globally, you can see that I'll never be without work. It is an epidemic that has just skyrocketed, and there's lots of reasons for that. We could certainly talk about some of them, but uh, the fact of the matter is people need to lose weight. And once they're 100 pounds or more overweight, there is a lot of research out there that shows diet and exercise alone will not get them down to a healthy weight. That will get rid of their diabetes, sleep apnea, high blood pressure. All of these things are weight related. So bariatric surgery, actually in Iowa, we are in one of the state's. Where we have the highest levels of obesity, but we were also one of the first academic centers to do a gastric bypass at the University of Iowa in the early seventies. Dr. Mason did that,
2: so wow. I
1: feel like we are we're in the father land of bariatric wow. surgery here, and so that's that's what I have uh, done most of my surgical career with okay. we We see patients in the office in their initial consultation, yeah. and then in the operating room. I'm on one side of the patient, and the surgeon is on the other, and we are both running instruments, cutting, sewing, stopping wow. bleeding if we have to, and so, uh, making our. So it's a tag. It's a
0: tag team approach, then, with you and the surgeon. Wow, that's amazing! Oh, absolutely. That's a, how-
1: absolutely. That was. Go
0: ahead. I, I, I'm sorry. I spoke over you. I'm sorry. I'm from New Jersey. When I take an opportunity to take a breath, I'll come in there and get you. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so how long, more or less, how long is a bariatric? the average bariatric surgery? How long is the person uh, under surgery? How long? Yeah. How long is the so procedure? So
1: the procedure, yeah, it takes about an hour and a half. Oh, it's long. It we'll certainly... It's pretty pretty quick. It'll seem longer to the family member waiting out there because it takes a while to get anesthesia going, and then they have to recover them in the recovery room. But all in all, the the time on the table for the patient is between an hour and an hour and a half normally. So then they do stay overnight one night, and they have to advance their diet fairly slowly. They're on clear liquids for a week, and then they go to full liquids and then soft foods. Um, but within a couple months, they're back to eating good, healthy, solid foods just in a much smaller quantity. Okay. And so, much, much like a uh, primary care provider develops relationships yeah. with their patients, we do that with our patients also. I see our patients every six months. Okay. And so we really know what's going on in their lives because we know that obesity is multifactorial. It's not just that you're eating too much of the wrong things. It's your stress level. It's your relationship to food. It's your job. It's your family. And so there's so many things I need to know about these people. I can't possibly learn all of that in just one meeting before they have their surgery. And I do like that a lot. I mean, my days back in the VA with psychiatry, I was developing relationships and I really like talking to people. So that has served me well. That experience has served me well. In this surgical population, I I don't mind when we have the occasional acute appendicitis and we go in and take out the appendix and I never see the person again. That's fine too. Okay, uh, but but it's a good balance this way.
0: Yeah, you you answered my question before I asked it. Is that so? You do have interaction with the patient outside of the operating room.
1: Definitely yes. Yeah. So uh, when you are on such a reduced calorie diet. And after having a surgery that reroutes your intestines, you are at risk for vitamin deficiencies. So I need to see the patients fairly routinely to make sure they're taking their supplements and we check their levels and I'm making sure that they aren't developing any uh, maladaptive eating patterns that would be detrimental to their health as well there is something uh, called being too thin you know right. if someone develops an eating disorder and they get too thin that's no healthier than being too heavy
0: right right now that that's that's a, that's fantastic i mean it's 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 fascinating it's fascinating now i'm just going to ask you to go back because i want to try to bring this together oh, so now when you took over the your your grandparents' farm, you were obviously already a physician's assistant. Were you still Were you still living five miles away from the farm, or was the impetus for you to live there was because you took over the main farm?
1: The timing of that is a little cloudy, probably just because I was starting my new career and. Uh, Everything was a bit of a whirlwind. I graduated from my PA program in 2001. Okay. And so my wife, her mother wanted to take a year long trip to Europe. And she had a home in Des Moines and she had a couple cats. And so she asked us to come house sit for her for okay. one year after I graduated. And that allowed us to bank some money for a down payment for our house. And it allowed us to take care of her house. Well, it wasn't great when nine 11 came and right. she was abroad. So she actually came home earlier than what we'd expected. So now you've got a couple of relatively newlyweds with a mother-in-law living there. We we said, Hmm, yeah, yeah. we better find our own place. <laughs> so okay. We, we, we did buy a house in, in Des Moines while I was working at the VA, but then we only lived there for a, a year or a year and a half before we decided, okay, this, uh, suburban living is not for me. And that's when we found our acreage out in Newton. Oh, okay. So, and so you've been so was, there quite some time. It was a time. perfect triangle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was 30 minutes to Des Moines, 30 minutes to the farm. And we've been there ever since. We've been in our house 20 years this April.
0: Oh, wow. So basically, when you go to work each day uh, at the hospital, then you're about a a half hour from from your place.
1: Yes. Yep. And that was what prompted me to start listening to your show was... Uh, it was 2020, and things at the hospital were quite stressful with the pandemic. And normally I was just listening to Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard, but they weren't keeping my mind occupied. Okay. So I needed something to really get my teeth into. And so I'm an education junkie. And any podcast that's about the transfer of knowledge, boom, there I was. Oh, well, th- well, thank you Here so we much.
0: Are. Well, thank you so much. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. I'm honored that a man with your background and your career path and everything even takes the time to listen to me. But you, I also did learn something from you because you told me you listened to it at, at 1.25 speed. <laughs> and I didn't even I I, I, I I didn't even know you could do that. Do I sound like a chipmunk? I don't know. Do I sound like a chipmunk on there?
1: I try to get as much information in the day as I can, so yeah. I had to hurry up a little yeah, bit nah. so I could listen to more.
0: I didn't know that you could even do that because I remember you told me that like last. You said listen to, or you, you emailed me or something. I listened to a one point. I said well, I don't even know how you could do that. So that's uh, but uh, now now Amber, your wife, uh, is she in the medical field? I believe that you had told me in the past that she has something to do in the quasi medical field, or maybe I'm wrong.
1: No, she definitely does. She graduated from the University of Iowa as well. She got her master's in mental health and substance abuse counseling, and she treated patients in that role for a couple of years, but then quickly found that she also liked the administrative portion of it and the teaching portion of it. And so now, for the last eleven or twelve years, she's been vice president at a residential facility for kids with severe mental health issues. Okay. They have eighty-eight beds, and they have uh, uh, over a hundred, probably close to one hundred and fifty employees that she doesn't directly oversee, but right. are part of her organization there. And uh, it's been very, very eye-opening for her to the kind of issues that can happen even in very young kids, but it's also been very rewarding because she has seen a lot of success come from patients who have spent time at her facility. Uh, There may be a time where she goes back to direct practice again, but uh, it's not in the foreseeable future just because she really has found her niche niche. in administration as well.
0: Well, that's that, That's wonderful. Is that in Des Moines also, or is that it's, so? You're both the Moines commuters.
1: We are both commuters, and uh, w- the weather is an impediment at times. So she would like to work from home more often when the weather is bad. She has actually had a couple of pretty serious accidents okay. on I eighty. And so, if the weather is at all bad, luckily her role
0: allows her to work from home. Look, uh, f- we would. No, I'm sorry, you go on. Go ahead. No, no. You go. I
1: was going to say we would, we would, we see ourselves retiring somewhere where we never have to see snow again. So uh, I don't that's know a few about years that. down the road. But, I don't know uh, about that.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I you know once you once you've been there, you'd have to find a farm somewhere. But it's funny because she said I eighty. My wife is an I eighty commuter in New Jersey, and uh, she commutes about fifty five miles one way. And it's uh, It seems that that uh, that no matter who you talk to, if it's near an urban area, that road is a nightmare. So. Uh, but, uh, but to get back, to get back onto uh, <clears throat> Joel Rand, so you have your, your medical hat, right? You're going on you're, you're putting on your scrubs, you're going to the, to the operating room. and then you come you come home. No, you can't I got a cat over here <laughs> trying to come over here on the podcast. Uh, and uh, you're doing that and now you're coming back to the farm. Now, does Amber have a passion for agriculture, as you do, or is she just more enjoying living in the country? And that's fine. Whatever whatever she likes or doesn't like is 100% fine.
1: She has a passion for animals, just not necessarily cattle. So she grew up with pets and I did
2: not. So
1: I often tell the story that one of the only fights she and I have ever had was if the cat was going to sleep on the bed or not. Because I never had cats growing okay. up. And when we got married, she wanted this cat. Yeah. And I said, well, there's no way we're going to let a cat on the bed. But at one point in our uh, last 20 years, I, we had three cats on the bed, and I loved it.
0: That's <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah. once you sleep with animals on the bed, you never go back. You know, it's... Oh, uh,
1: you know, we, we both have very soft spots in our hearts for all animals. We've yeah. had dogs and cats. And, of course, we know that the cattle are food animals. And yeah. we know their uh, final destination but of course, we do our best to make sure that uh, they're treated humanely, and uh, yeah, we we are very uh, eager to see that our animals, our companion animals, get everything they need. We had a we had a black lab dog, and he tore both of his ACLs, and we didn't think twice about spending the money for him to get oh, his course. ACLs repaired. Yeah, Even course. though he wasn't uh, an athlete, <laughs> no, that's
0: fine. But he's a, he's a, he's part of the family. I mean, they're their family. Absolutely. I, I got absolutely. I got H-A-N-K Just came on my lap. I can't say his name because then he's going to meow. So I have to spell it. He doesn't I haven't figured that out yet. But what's what I find very interesting, and maybe uh, you could fill me in on this if this really happened, is that i would tend to think and don't 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 be afraid to tell me that i'm wrong that your growing up on the farm and your interaction with that aspect of life uh probably did influence you even though your parents going into the peace corps and everything and you wanted to give back influence you could do you see any do you see a uh, a connection there and you feel that that connection of Growing up, go, going to your grandparents and dealing with animals and dairy cows and hogs and everything was of—I uh, don't want to say a value, but was, was one of the one of the cogs in the gear that made you want to go into the medical field and, and you know become a doctor.
1: Oh, I think absolutely. I touched just briefly on the the work ethic that you have to have to to work on the farm, and you have to very much carry that into your professional role if you are uh, in medicine also. But then just the cyclic nature of farming, you have spring, summer, fall, winter, you know what to expect. Most of the time, certainly weather can throw a wrinkle in things, but you know, you're planting in the spring and you're making hay in the summer and you're combining in the fall and you're feeding cattle in the winter. And then it just repeats. And that kind of repetition and that kind of uh, uh, you just understand how things are going to be going on. And so then it was a very easy switch to go to medicine where it's not a cookbook but there's a lot of evidence-based medicine where you know how things are going to be happening you do this and then you do that and you do that and it's all very regimented i mean i'm a very type a person and i think to be a good self-employed farmer you have to be a very type a person because it'd be very easy to just lay on the couch all day and not go to the shop to change the oil in the tractor right. or go go figure out what fertilizer program you're going to use for the next year. And so you have to be very self-directed. And I think that working on the farm did help me with that. And of course the love of animals, as I said, the human body and, uh, the, the machine that it is. And right. then just the fact that uh, m- the machinery work that I've done on the farm, I, I enjoy working with my hands. So it would lead me to go into a career where I'm not just uh, sitting and reading or sitting and typing at a computer, but I'm actually using my hands in the operating room and in the clinic as well. So right. I do often have to wash my hands. Quite a long time on Monday mornings before I go into the operating room to get the grease and the uh, yeah. I was going to say that I was that. from you, under my fingernails. You
0: you you read Mike? What you know? Right, here's the here's the guy who's going to help in the surgery. Right, right, Here, let me see his hands. You know, and uh, so yep. I, I guess those gloves come in handy for a guy for a person like you. And, but now, was your dad mechanically inclined? Not at all. No, I well, think
1: he maybe owned a hammer when we grew up. Oh, and really? That's about it.
0: Wow. So, you know, now, it, so your love for machinery came from your grandfather? Or where do you think it came from?
1: Yes, definitely from my grandfather and uh, his, his old equipment did need some uh, repair and maintenance at times, so I got in on that. But really, you know, I don't know where all of my education on this has come from. I mean, obviously, I'm a self-directed learner, and when the Internet came about, then it was a world of uh, information at your fingertips not all of it is accurate of right. course as you've mentioned before but uh i have bookshelves full of mechanical books uh you know the Chilton manuals the tractor repair books i anytime i get a piece of equipment if it's used and there's not a manual with it i get online i get the manual i read those like someone else might read the sunday paper or a novel
0: well, well, that is that is wonderful because that's paramount and 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 uh, and fundamental in in learning. So uh, that that that's that that that's wonderful. Now, you also had told me uh, last year because we did have a nice conversation last year that you also have some antique equipment, don't you?
1: We do, yes. So we have more than more than what we need for our small farm, but it is uh, nice to have multiple tractors that you could leave one hooked to a mower, one maybe with the loader on it. One has to be left out with the hay rake, that sort of thing. So we do have our modern equipment, but then we also do have, uh, several of the John Deere two cylinders. I have a 720 diesel with the gasoline pony start, very wow. similar to what my grandfather had. Uh, it's not his tractor. Unfortunately, he sold his tractor at auction, and I was unable to find it again. It sounds like it went to a, a fellow who had some devious ways, and he ended up in jail, and I'm not sure where the tractor went. Okay. But I found one very similar to it. Uh, we also have a John Deere 60. We have a 70. d And we have a 50. And then we have a smattering.
0: Go ahead. You're all John Deere.
1: Not all John Deere. I was going to say we have a smattering of red as well. Okay. So the good friend of mine who lives down by us in Newton, who had the 1,800 acres, who I helped him with all the time, he had a Farmall H that was an auger tractor for us. And it was getting kind of weak. And so I said, well, let me overhaul this thing we'll do a valve job we'll plane the head we'll uh, do some rings if we need pistons if we got to turn the crank we can do that and i did all that for him and i billed him and he said now instead of cash would you just rather have this tractor and so <laughs> i said absolutely and so we've got a red one in the shed too uh that h and a couple others we've got a w4 which is like a standard h um, and uh, we have a bee, actually a little farmall bee that is yellow. It was used as a DOT tractor. Oh wow! In for the Illinois DOT, and so we just left it the same color.
0: Wow! So now, how many tractors do you have, functional and hobby?
1: Probably sixteen or seventeen. Wow! You do, you do have yes, some collection.
0: You do have some collection. Wow! Wow, you, you guys are, now your are uh, I'll call them production tractors that you use to make hay and everything on the farm. Those are the newer units or do you use uh, some of the older units? I know you said that you keep equipment hooked up to it, but what are your main production tractors?
1: So our main production tractors, we have a uh, 2016 John Deere uh, 6-140, and then we have three 5,000 series tractors that are about 90 horsepower. They're 5520s. Oh, wow. nice. um, and then we did just buy a tractor from a good friend of ours who is retiring. It's a 7800 John Deere. From That's a big boy. Late 90s. That's it a- is. It's got duels on it. It's our biggest tractor. I don't know exactly if we need a tractor with duels because we don't really do much tillage. We do yeah. tear up a little piece uh, where the cattle stay during the winter and we incorporate uh, some sorghum to yeah. have some cover crop there, but uh, I don't know that we really need a 160 horsepower tractor. That's a big boy,
0: I, I know. But yeah, uh, but hey, you know, you, you never have too much horsepower. But uh, right. So now, when you when you when you rip up that land and the, put the sorghum in, do you uh, disk it or do you do you plow it or what do you what do you do? do you just go with a cultivator? What do so you do?
1: We have a three point chisel plow okay. and i'll run maps and then i will run a disc okay. we then broad broadcast right. the seed and i've got a cult of packer that okay we run you over run over it with, with
0: you they work pretty good those cult of packers you know so uh yes yeah so that's so now i like i said i'm 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 at, I'm at a advantage over the listeners because like i said we have had conversations before so it's so it seems that you're the you're the, the field guy and the machinery guy, and your brother Nathan is, because he's a veterinarian, he's the animal care guy. Is that correct? Is that the way the business model is set up?
1: definitely i mean there is a little cross pollination there where if okay. i need a hand with the machinery he's there to help but uh, i certainly don't put my arm in the cows
0: okay and uh and, <laughs> and uh, do you do ai with the cows or do you bring a bull on on the farm
1: we don't we we have two bulls okay. we have to have some rented pasture so we've got about 10 or 15 cows go to the rented pasture with the bull and then we keep the remainder at home with okay. the bull Um, and luckily one of our neighbors is actually a seed stock salesman. So he gets us our two year old bulls uh, without any trouble. But yeah, I mean, having a veterinarian in the family is obviously a godsend. He's, he's been the one who has really pushed the cattle. Uh, I would probably just do hay and sell the hay from the farm. But the fact that he, he wants the cattle and he can take care of them and keep them healthy. I've, I've learned a lot there, but, uh, On the other hand, it's the cattle work that gets you out in the blizzards and such. Right. So I'm happy that he can do that.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a. Now I'm. I'm just going to go back. um, Well, I guess I don't even know if I'm going back. I'm going to go down a different path now. And please don't don't feel any way obligated to uh, to discuss this or to take my lead. And you could just say so, and we'll move on no problem is that you know being in the medical field being in the in surgery um there was i'm sure in your in your lengthy career being in the operating room that there were probably some people that didn't have good results and uh for some way or another and uh how did that affect you as a as a as a compassionate person
1: well, yes, it does affect you as a compassionate person. I mean, I wouldn't be in this role and I would not expect anyone to be in a medical role if their number one thought was not get the best outcome for the most people you can. You're in it to help people. So when things don't turn out as planned, whether it was fault of yours or not, you know, sometimes people are just going to have outcomes. Right, of course. Certainly that you know, that hits you as a person. You have to be able to separate that and not carry that with you because you might leave the operating room where a patient died on the table and be going right into another surgery where you have to be able to focus on that patient and make sure that you do the best job you can for them. So you have to, you have to approach it almost mechanically where you can turn off your emotions and move on to the next thing. But yet the reason you're in the job is because you have human emotions and you want people to do well. So, I mean, that's, that's very challenging to do. And the additional aspect of it now is the world has gotten to be so litiginous yeah. that, if there is a bad outcome, not only do you feel bad for the loss of human life or right. the, the detriment of their medical condition, you you are concerned and sad about how it has affected their family, but then on the other hand, you're worried about what repercussions there right. may no. be for you. Again, whether it was no fault of your own right. or not, you know, lawyers exist for a reason, and that is a little scary. No, it, it, it oh. is.
0: It I- is. Now, uh, <clears throat> in those instances where... Uh, is the is the is the farm your safe place because even though you put that I would tend to think even though you you have to put that as you said so succinctly that you go and, you know this person has a problem on the operating table and but you have to go to another surgery and have a clear head uh, but I don't think that it evaporates from the the tape recorder in your mind so you find yourself, you know, getting out on the tractor, walking the farm, and is that is that your your safe place just to let you those, those human emotions come in and do that what they have to do to you so you can pick up the pieces and go back to the operating room the next day.
1: One hundred percent. I mean, uh, my wife Amber knows that uh, if it's the difference between. Going to the mall with her or going to sit on a tractor for my tractor therapy, yeah. I'm definitely going to choose to tractor every yeah. time. And the other is walking my dog. Yeah. I walk my dog 45 minutes a day and I tell him things that I wouldn't tell anyone else.
0: Oh, yes, I and know it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've spent many a time up in the woods, in our woods, and trying times and in, in my life. And there's a log that I sit on and, uh, and uh, spoke to God and said a lot of things and cried a lot. And, uh, and just because you're going to keep that stuff in for so long, you know? And uh,
1: Absolutely right. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the, the benefit of the farming for me, too, is it, is it is quite different from what I do in my regular day-to-day. So uh, it, it helps to get me disconnected from my professional career to go do something that is still worthwhile, Right. You know, it's, to say it's not a hobby is probably good because I don't consider it a hobby. No, it's, it's not a hobby. Something that uh, we're we're feeding people, we're taking care of animals, so it's still a job. But yet it's so far different from my other job that it allows me some time to reset my brain, which is very good.
0: Right. Did Did you ever? Have- I also
1: reset my brain underwater.
0: Oh, yeah, I, was, I, know you, I know that, that we haven't discussed that but you and your wife are scuba divers how does somebody from iowa become a scuba diver but before we talk about that let's talk about amber all right so how did you meet this girl you said you both went to the same university did you meet her in school
1: we met in school but it was actually in high school Oh so wow. we were high school sweethearts wow. yeah uh We met in 1989. I was in eighth grade, and she was in uh, her freshman year, and she found a boyfriend that unfortunately wasn't me, so she had to have some time with him before she decided, uh, let's move on. And so by the time she was a junior... We had really uh, decided we are going to try to date, and we went to prom, and the rest is history. So she went to the University of Northern Iowa, which is in Cedar Falls, Iowa, so it's about an hour and a half from Des Moines. And so I was able to stay in touch with her while I finished up my high schooling, and then I went to the University of Iowa, and that is about an hour or so from the University of Northern Iowa, and we kept that going. And she was a competitive swimmer.
2: In oh, college, okay. so
1: there was a lot of time spent watching her swim and traveling with the swim team, and uh, she actually still continues to do that. She's on the Des Moines Masters team. She's got some national records still, even though wow. uh, she's not as fast as she once was. She's fast enough.
2: Wow! So, wow! Uh,
1: yeah, we've we've celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary, not this past summer, but the summer before nice. that, and uh, so it's just been. I don't know if there's such thing as love at first sight or a match made in heaven, but right. I think we're definitely beating the statistics, and we're we're pretty happily married for a long time.
0: Well, that that that's wonderful, and you have no children, is that correct?
1: What's that? You have no
0: children, correct? You don't correct? Yeah, yeah. we
1: we don't have any kids. Yeah. She didn't want any, and right. uh, I didn't have strong feelings either way, so. We just never did do that, and I right. think it was a good thing for us.
0: Yeah, no, it's a. In lots of ways, it's a blessing. Uh, it's <clears throat> uh, obviously, obviously, it's a blessing when, for those who do have children, because otherwise, we will not exist. <clears throat> but. Excuse me. My wife and I are the same way. My wife, being a kindergarten teacher, said she's had a thousand kids. So, uh, right. So, so uh, Amberfield. We we have we have uh, animals instead of kids, and uh, and the world. You know, the world needs people who are wonderful parents, and. The, I always looked at life like a navy ship, is that there's all different tasks that need to be done. Everybody can't be the captain and everybody can't be a gunner, right? You need people in between and you're able to do what you're doing with the farm and Amber's able to do what she's doing because you don't have those responsibilities of raising children at home. So it, uh, it would not allow you to be able to be as productive in your careers. And if somebody chooses that other path, that's wonderful. We need that also, Right
1: absolutely you know it used to bother me when people said well why don't you have kids or when are you going to have kids and it's just it's it's become more commonplace now actually for people not to have children than it was in the past so those questions have obviously dwindled a bit right right uh, i certainly don't think there's anything wrong with not having kids uh it's and again it's worked out very well for us i feel like we've been still good productive members of society even though we didn't bring offspring into the world right
0: exactly exactly and sometimes bringing offspring in the world is bringing problems into the world sadly and amber certainly (laughs) amber certainly knows that firsthand everybody's not a choir boy so uh but 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 that also you're too young now you and your brother are too young now to be concerned with that but that also uh leaves uh, a question of the legacy of your passion for agriculture, your passion for machinery, your passion for medicine and helping people, and your passion for the land. Uh, because there's there's no one really to come after you guys, right?
1: And I do think about that as well, because we're 70 years into this farm right now, and I hope, God willing, nothing happens to my brother that uh, we wouldn't make it to a uh, uh, century farm. Farm, right. To get the... It's 100 years in, but uh, I do know that I won't have anyone to leave it to. And at this point, he doesn't have a spouse or any children to leave it to either. So uh, I'm hopeful that something happens, that uh, the Rand Farm can carry on, but uh, I guess i don't have any guarantees about that and once i'm gone whatever happens happens right
0: oh, oh yeah i mean but it still is i mean with your passion for the land your passion for the farm the animals the equipment and uh and, and like i said i mean your patients come and go obviously you were a big part of their life but you know they'll go and you'll do what you have to do and you will wish them well almost like a a uh you know boot camp in the service right you wish the soldiers well and you give them the best training you can and god be with them you know you don't you know that everybody's not going to return from the battle but uh but you know you, your roots are there on that farm for so many years and i know in our particular instance we have the same issue and uh you feel that you've been you've been giving something to steward but you also need to somehow make a plan to to continue that, to pass that baton to someone, you know. So uh, it is a struggle. You're, you're too young now to worry about it, but something that you know, as you know, it's, it, it haunts you in the back of your mind.
1: Well, during the transition from the CRP ground to uh, our taking over the farm, there were a few years where we found one of the church members that my parent, my grandparents, went to church with. And he rented the farm, and then his son took over and rented the farm. And so I think when the time comes, we will probably dip into that uh, resource again and just be sure that we have a very good succession plan Right. to where if it's not going to be family, it's going to be someone who shares my brother's same love of the animal, right. the same faith, the same... Uh, stewardship. Yeah. And so we'll feel comfortable with that transition plan as long as we can get it all accomplished while we're still of sound mind and uh, able to make those decisions. Right. You know, I've, I've heard far too many people who even have, sons or daughters who are interested in taking over the farm not get their estate planning done in a timely manner and then it can be very tumultuous for the family so just having kids wouldn't have made this no
0: no easy either no or they could not have an interest in it so it doesn't Mm -hmm. uh which is which is not which is i mean not bad everybody has to have their own you know their interest in their own walk in life but i know you're listening to your story here in the podcast i know that that it's, it's very hard to, uh, it's it's something you, you kick the can down the road a little bit, but you know you can't kick it too far down the road, and God willing, you have plenty of time, you're a young man yet, and your wife is young, to be able to to make that planning, but you, know, you have to do your due diligence now. But the thing is that, we're going to go back to those tractors for a minute, because I know you had sent us beautiful pictures. Of your farm. And that's a beautiful machine shed you got there. What, what, how big is it? What kind of... Uh, I I think you gave me a picture with a drone flying over it, right? Didn't you give me an Yeah, hand?
1: yeah. So our neighbor had a drone and came over and took some pictures one day for us. And uh, on the farm, we do have the original barn. It has been resided and has a new metal roof on it. And we also have put up... Uh, I think that the one in the picture you saw was 60 by 80 and it was put up, put up by the Amish. So, you know, of course there are lots of companies that are willing to put up buildings for you, but uh, we checked around and we thought that their quality and their price was the best. So we went with them and it was really an excellent investment into the property because previously we'd been just nestling these tractors in the old corn crib or in the garage or under a tree right. and we care about our machinery too much for that. So yeah. now it's in undercover and it's a nice place to work on them. Uh, we have since added a couple more buildings. One is just solely for the storage of hay to keep that hay from, uh, being exposed to the elements. Right. And then we have another that has full concrete in it as well. So it's a lot better laying on concrete than rocks right. when you're trying to change oil. Oh, or, sure. Uh, Sure, and do some things like that. Oh, oh so and having nice light and oh, heat. Also. Oh,
0: man! yeah. Oh, 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 <laughs> you're living like a king there for crying out there it's compared, mm-hmm. your, your grandfather would know what that's all. What that was all. What that's all about. You know, and uh,
1: oh, you know, his farm shop didn't have any insulation, and it was basically a double car garage. And yep. uh, so, yes, he he definitely would. I hope that he would enjoy seeing the what I would yeah. say are vast improvements to the property.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and beautiful, beautiful, beautiful operation. And uh, so now, uh, so the building that you store, uh, the, the, are they small square bales or large square? Are you doing round bales? What are you doing with the hay? We didn't talk, talk touch on that. How are you baling it?
1: So we are... We're doing all round bales okay. at this point. We have a 568 John Deere baler that we pull with a 4630 John Deere. Um, and so we just do that, one, because it's faster. Right. And two, it doesn't require any outside help. We hire right. help when we need it with the cattle work. Right. But uh, between the two of us, keep it's it the round baler. Yeah. we can get the baler running and going and it's just easier to uh feed as well right. certainly you have more waste with right. the round bales versus the squares but it's just not practical for us to use the small square square baler anymore we still have one in the right. shed yeah. it's a nice baler but uh again finding the help for us to run it that just doesn't work
0: yeah, that, so, uh, so that we, would be uh, that's a small small round bale right
1: uh, it's a six-foot bale.
0: Okay, yeah. Because I think they have a bigger... Don't yep. they have a larger one?
1: I don't I don't think they get much larger than okay. that. You can make a four, a five, or a 6 bale. Okay, foot then bail, six is the biggest one.
0: Okay. Six okay. is
1: the biggest. And we do net wrap as well, okay. uh, which does help keep it together a little bit better yeah. than the twine. And it okay. does shed water better. But we are putting some putting some in the building now so that's nice if we have uh some surplus after a year we can keep some on to the next year
0: and how how, how are you moving the bales
1: so uh we do have loader tractors with stabbers on the oh okay you do leader. okay yeah yeah well, okay yeah, yeah.
0: you get the whole the whole operation there yeah that's uh i think those john deere balers are made in the tumwa Iowa, aren't they
1: they are. You're exactly
0: right. I've ridden by that plant many. times
1: makes the bailers.
0: I've been ridden by that plant many times. With the I forgot what road is, and the, the plant is you, the road makes a tight right angle turn, and you got to go around the plant like that. So we've uh, come, my wife and I coming back from South Dakota. Road r- ridden by that plant a number of times. So uh, in a tumwa. So I remember of course, on the the show MASH, the radar ra- the guy who played Radar or Radar O'Reilly was from a tumwa, Iowa supposedly that's right? right yeah 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 yeah. Yep, supposedly <laughs> <laughs> you, you claim to fame somebody must have known that town when they put their finger in a map and said oh well, the guys will make the guy from a tom you know <laughs> my reference is always keokuk iowa so i'm not from you know this is not happening in keokuk so uh but you have such a wonderful wonderful and, I, and i'm gonna say it to you i don't know what your faith is risen. that makes no difference but you truly are living a blessed life because from my perspective because you're doing what you love and your left foot and your right foot right you're in the operating room you're teaching you're being inspired by young people you're having a transfer of knowledge in the classroom in the medical school so you're having a transfer of knowledge and uh <clears throat> you're coming back to the farm you're 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 honoring the roots of your grandparents the passion that your grandfather you know instilled in you that you were able to to be exposed to because you, you probably wouldn't be the man you are today if your grandparents didn't have that farm so uh
1: no absolutely we are blessed yeah. we are blessed
0: yeah and uh and then <clears throat> then also from my perspective if you listen to your show you know that I'm, that i'm a devout follower of christ and uh but to be able to go into the operating room and and see parts of the human body that 99% of the people will never see and see the majesty of it. I mean, even though it's got blood and everything, but still see the majesty of it. And like you, you so aptly said, the ultimate machine, right? So yeah, the, the ultimate machine. And, uh, and if you, and then you take that and you, and you see all of that. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. And, and have you have you did this? Uh, do you ever think you'd do some work with, with youth, like with the FFA or 4H or something, to try to to transfer some of your passion and knowledge that you've been blessed with to uh, to some younger people?
1: I don't get an opportunity to do that as much as I would like, except for when we are having our annual Mid-Iowa Antique Power Association show. Okay. We do get the FFA students out there, and I get to interact with them in that uh, regard. Yeah. But, uh, no, that is that is an area where I would actually like to uh, get a little more involved, for sure.
0: Uh, yeah. But.
1: Just haven't had the opportunity. No, no, no. You have to have the. Point.
0: You have to have the opportunity. Your life is so, so. Uh, I'll say consumed now with the with the hats that you're wearing. But as a third party observer, it would be uh, I, it would it would be a terrible waste if you could not have the ability and the opportunity to to pass that in some way, shape, or form onto some other generation of of, of young man, or young girl. <clears throat> and who knows that person you don't know what they will become because you would be the catalyst catalyst for you would be the, the foundation the fundamentals that they may end up finding the cure to cancer and uh they'll right. look, they'll look and, and you know people may laugh and say oh, that guy's nuts as hard for. that's that's not far from the truth because look what you became look what you became <clears throat> you're working in the working in the hospital, working with the with the with the veterans. uh you're working in the operating room. You're directing people's life afterwards. You know uh, to get them on a, on a on a proper path. And look what your wife is doing, as far as helping these at. I think you call them at risk. Is that the proper term, children? Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, so you guys are, <clears throat> are giving back. And you're you're filling your silo with a lot of blessings that you can't let them go. When the time is right, you can't let them go bad in the silo, right? Because you're, you're you're putting your hay in there so it doesn't go bad. But you have to do the same thing with your blessings as time goes on, you know. And I'm sure I'm sure when the time is right, you're in the, in the midst of your career right now. But I could see you having a third career, farm <coughs> farming, surgery, and then. Passing that on to other people.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I mentioned how I felt like my grandfather and my time on the farm helped to mold me. But I also have to give some credit to my uncle, my mom's brother. He was an ordained minister. And so on Sundays, I would go and listen to him preach. And I saw how he was so respected and how he was transferring his knowledge and how his attitude was always so positive that while even though maybe when i was a teenager i was a little surly i have worked very hard to keep a positive attitude and keep an open mind and keep whatever blessings that are bestowed on me in my pocket and use them for good and so i mean it's just you have to embrace everything that comes your way in the world and it's not all going to be good of course but your frame of reference if it can always be positive you'll find some good in it
0: no and that and that's why i was so excited about because the few conversations we had the few emails back and forth and i knew that you were that man that everything that you just told me and told the audience i knew that you were that man that you're that 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 you're a man that you so succinctly put it, and recognizing your blessings, recognizing that it that it's your job to steward those blessings, and it's your job to steward those blessings, and to be able to bless others with it. Because a blessing that you don't bless anybody else with, what good is it, right? And a blessing. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, no, that that's wonderful, and I know that your your show. Your episode, I call it a show. Your episode is going to be so inspirational, and uh, to people in the audience listening all around the world. And uh, but if you were to, so use this microphone, right? Use this microphone. That if you were to give some, and I'm putting you on the spot, so I understand that. If you were to give some advice to. People of any age, they don't have to be 15, 16 years old, they could be 35, 40, 50 years old. If you could give some advice because your exposure, seeing people in the operating room, seeing the animals, doing the farm, seeing the people, the uh, the veterans at the VA hospital the day America was attacked, I mean, you, what, what do you think that you would tell them? And like I said, it's a hard question I'm giving you, and I understand that and I appreciate it.
1: Well, there are so many facets of that question. I would start globally with, as I said, you are only able to understand reality as you understand it. And that is kind of a circular definition. But if you look at the world in only one way, you'll only see one world. But if you can keep an open mind, if you can listen to the experiences of others. If you can share your experiences with people, if you're willing to take on some risk, then doors open. But when you get right down to the fact of the matter, the only things that are important in life is being kind to one another because we only have each other. And I don't listen to the news. I try to avoid it. There's just too much bad news. And if I'm able to, uh, just have the kind of interactions with people that I think they want to have with me, then it's beneficial to both parties. And so not again, not everything is easy. Not everything is going to work the way you always want it to work, but the golden rule, right? Right. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. And uh, that's, that's gotten me a long way in my life.
0: Yes, and a lot of satisfaction, a lot of satisfaction. You could say that you went into the operating room and you you helped people, you you had the opportunity, the ability to hopefully change their life. You know what I'm saying? And uh, absolutely. And uh, you know that's that's that there's a you know the, yeah the, you you may sew them up and send them on their way, but you know there's a a little little bit of uh, Joe Rand that touched in there and 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 moved that stuff around <laughs> metaphorically, right? And, and made and made them and made them better and that is uh that is that is one thousand ali just jumped off the bookcase so uh, so so that is uh that is wonderful and uh being able to have a, a your high school sweetheart you're telling a story that not a lot of people aren't going to be able to live that that married their high school sweetheart and stay married yeah. for twenty five years. So it's the best
1: decision I ever
0: made. Right? Oh yeah, that's that's wonderful. Thank God. And but because of Amber's swimming, is that how you got into scuba diving? Because the most of the time, the only time you could scuba dive in Iowa is in an old granite mine or something.
1: Well, that does exist, and I've done it. And now Amber doesn't care for that because it's quite cold. But uh, actually, no. I mean the the first international trip that we ever took as husband and wife was to Jamaica okay. and we were just sitting on the beach, taking in some rays and one of the Jamaicans wandered up and I'm sure that he was probably high as a kite on the jazz <laughs> cigarettes, but, uh, you know, he said, uh, you want to try scuba diving? And we said, okay. And he threw us in a boat and we paddled out and dropped down and we were just immediately in love with it. So we came back to Iowa and got our certification and you know, couples need to have things they do individually and things they do together. And this has been one of those great things that we can do together. We experience it. I take photographs. We talk about it afterwards. And we, we almost are meditating under there, but we're together.
0: That's, 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 that's wonderful. Now you, you travel a lot. I know you go scuba diving all over, you just told us, right? You fly to all these different places. So there's no right or wrong answer to anything that I ask on this show. But but if, if I was sitting next to you on an airplane, and I'm going to tell you the backstory of this. Oh, a little bit more than a year ago, uh, I did a uh, on-the-road episode with Matt Hagen. And Matt Hagan is a uh, NHRA... Uh, top fuel funny car world champion driver and uh, but he's also a farmer he farms about 3600 acres in virginia and his his family owns about 45 or 50 car dealerships so but i said to him matt and i'm going to ask you the same question there's no right or wrong all right so i said if i was sitting next to you on an airplane i said "Hey, geez you're a nice guy what do you do for a living i said what would you tell them so he would he said, well, I would tell him I'm a farmer that happens to drag race, right? So that doesn't mean you have to have the same answer. But if I sat next to you on an airplane, I said, geez, Joel, you're a nice, you're a nice guy. You got your wife over here. Amber is very nice. You are going on this international flight going someplace. I'm just curious, Joel, what do you, you, what do, you do for a living? What would you be your knee jerk, your knee jerk, your shock test answer to them?
1: Yep, when when that has happened to me in the past, I say, well, I do lots of things, but I would particularly say that I am in medicine and farming both
0: equally. Okay, so equal, so all right, so we got we got to put one in the equal column, all right? So that probably open op- that would open up a lot of conversation. <laughs> so, so, oh,
1: definitely. I mean, and I, I can't say that I've been an owner operator farmer. As long as I've been a PA, and it hasn't brought me the revenue, but I would say definitely I've been in farming in one aspect or another. Right, exactly. Much longer since I was a kid.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And
1: I can talk about tractors all day, and I get tired of talking about surgery.
0: Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> now, now the surgeon that no, I meant to ask. I'm going back to the operating room for a second because I meant to ask you a question. So now are you do you work with the same surgeon all the time or the same group of surgeons or are you almost like an anesthesiologist where you know he comes in and he works with a you know that they call an anesthesiologist and at least they do in new jersey and then lots of times the doctor does you know may know that anesthesiologist but he may not he may not have worked with him before how does it work with a pa in the operating room
1: So I was hired by a group and there are four surgeons in that group. One of them does the bariatric surgery and general surgery. And the other three are general surgeons. So I may help any number of them with removing a gallbladder, doing an appendix, fixing a hernia. But then when it's the bariatric surgery, I am just working with the one surgeon that does the bariatric
0: work. So
1: I I have a good relationship with four of them. I just work more closely and more frequently with the bariatric surgeon. And uh, one of our surgeons actually grew up on a farm in Kansas. So, okay, when I interviewed and I said that I had a farm background, his eyes lit up and he said, well, you're hired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna ask you so also, oh, does he still have any farm? does he still have a farm any place in Iowa or is he he, he's, he gave, gave no more association with it?
1: Nope, when he moved to Iowa, he did not move to an acreage, but okay. his family still does own a okay. farm in Kansas. Okay. and he has a brother and a sister-in-law who are farming. So it will stay in the family.
0: And he maybe goes home for harvest, you know, harvest help, right? So uh, yes. yeah, that, 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 that that's wonderful. Now, since your your brother is a veterinarian, right, and, 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 and you're a PA, do you, when it comes to the animals, do you have much... Conflict in 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 care or what or diagnosing what's wrong or you just kind of give that to your brother or say I don't think that that cow has this problem. Is there any uh, tug and war tug of war there?
1: No, I pretty much defer to him. There's certainly a lot of physiology that is that is the same, even though the species is not. Yeah, um, but uh, to the best of my knowledge humans don't have four stomachs like cows do. Huh. So I let him deal with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Now you said you'd like to walk your dog on the farm. What's the dog's name?
1: Our current dog's name is Toasty, Toasty. And we, we actually didn't give him that name. He was a runaway. He was a stray down in Arkansas oh, wow. and he was brought up to a, a shelter in Iowa and our chocolate lab had recently passed, okay. and I just wasn't sure how long I could go without a dog. So we started looking, and we saw this cute black puppy up at uh, up at uh, the shelter. And so we went to see him, and they said, well, this is Toasty, and he took right to us, took right to my wife and me. And so we took him for a walk around there, and we're like, okay, this is the dog we want. He's yeah. going to be great. And we brought him home and the first thing he did was bit my dad. Oh, like, okay. oh <laughs> Well, that's not great. So yeah. he had quite a bit of fear. He had some yeah. PTSD from his time living on the streets of Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been working with him tremendously. And we, we had a, a professional trainer give us some help as well. So, you know, living in the country, I don't mind a dog that barks at strangers, right? but I don't want a dog that's going to fight family. And it's, it, it's come around, uh, come around very well. He, he loves uh, my dad. He loves my mother-in-law. Yeah. So we have built-in babysitters
0: for when right. we take our trips. Well, that's great. How old is he now? He is five. Oh, okay. so, so he was just you. about one when we got yeah. him he only got a little bit of shell shock, like a guy coming back from the war, he has a car backfire, he jumps on the ground and jumps and covers his head.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you working with the VA hospital, you could certainly understand and respect that. But there's no hurdles there, and you both you and I both know that love cannot cure for Toasty. You know? So Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And we felt that way about all of our uh cats that right, we've taken of in as well. I mean We've had five or six cats over the course of time, and I do try to name them uh, based on tractors or family members. Oh, okay. So So we've Alice Alice Chalmers. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Uh, And then – we named one Dora, that was my great-grandmother, okay. and we've had Howard, which is our last name, and yeah. I uh, really hated to hear the story of your cat Donald, but that was my grandfather's name. Oh, okay. so We never had a cat Donald, but uh, that name means a lot to me as well, so I do I do appreciate yeah. what it takes to name animals yeah. with, the, with the love and history.
0: Yes, and uh, what we usually do is we let the animal have, because everything we have was uh, was found or found us you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and uh, so usually I like even like with my chickens I like to try to spend a little bit of time with them and then then a name comes to them that fits their personality so uh, that, so that's uh, that, but that, that that's that's wonderful and uh, you have a, uh, a I'm I hope that you're not offended by this even though we've never met but I'm going to take the liberty of calling you a friend and I don't use that term lightly so So
1: I certainly do appreciate that because I would say the same thing. You don't have to, uh, have shaken hands to develop a friendship.
0: No, and uh, and we uh, and just you're you're a salt of the earth man, and I know that your brother is a salt of the earth man, and uh, I know without meeting Amber that she's salt of the earth because salt goes to salt, right? If you weren't salt of the earth, right. you would not have fell in love with her. But uh, we're gonna get back to. So you said your first date was the prom. Basically, yes. Oh boy, you got a. In New Jersey, we'd say you'd use a, we'd use a not nice word. You got a set of first date going to the prom. I mean, my God, you figured, hey, you're going for the gusto here, you know?
1: Yeah, that's right. I figured if she still liked me after she saw how bad I danced, then we were going to be set. right.
0: Ah, uh, Good, good. You know, in engineering, we say, if you're going to fail, fail soon, right? So <laughs> That's exactly right. So if you're going to design an engine and the crank is no good, let it blow up right in the beginning. Not, you know, not the, (laughs) after you're going into production, it'll fall out on Route 80. So that's wonderful. But listen, I know that you're in the hospital. I know that you're working. And I greatly, greatly appreciate you taking the time and the effort and the patience uh, for waiting for me to make this show happen today and the, the obstacles that we had of you know, with the phone call in the beginning and everything. And uh, you're a true farmer because you just worked through the obstacles. You're a true doctor in the operating room. You didn't give up. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your blessed story with the audience. And I know without a doubt that you will be an inspiration to them and that uh, God will continue to shine upon your blessed life because you truly, yes, you have your moments, things happen, but you're being able to to do such wonderful things, wonderful things with your life. And that's, 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 that, that that's fantastic. Fantastic. You know, fantastic. So, uh, I just want to, uh, let you go back to the, I, I am surprised you're beep. Do they still use beepers when they want you in a hospital? Or what do they do? What was that? Do they, do they still use beepers when they want to get a hold of you in a hospital? No,
1: they they got rid of beepers a while ago. Now everybody has to be tethered to their
0: cell phone. Oh, okay. That's a good thing when I tie (laughs) tie you up. But I'm going to let you go, Joel. So, because we've been an hour and a half, and I know you have to get back to your patience, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I want to thank you for being a listener, even though you do listen at 125 speed, but we'll forget about that, you know? Because, (laughs) (coughs) you know, so uh, i got to figure out how to do that one time so I can hear how I sound. So, uh, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for, for sharing your life and opening up your heart and your soul to the audience and to me on the, on the podcast. I, I greatly, greatly well, appreciate it.
1: I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you. And I do hope that, uh, it's been interesting to your listeners. If anyone has any questions that have arisen from our discussion today, and you think that I would be able to, uh, help guide them or answer some questions, you know, feel free to give them my information. I'm happy to talk to everyone. As I said, life is about relationships and, uh, had i not reached out to you i would have missed out on a very important one
0: well i don't know about that i'm the one who would have missed out if you didn't reach out to me but okay. what i'm going to ask you sir is just to stay on the line i'm going to play our exit music we're not too professional here and then i just want to just uh touch base with you and uh and give you a uh, uh, and, and then thank you uh, off the air so just just stay on the line and uh where will we be on the road next time? I know where we're gonna be on the road next time because Joel's gonna send the gentleman the headset that we ended up not using. And we're gonna be Scott Farley, who is a top fuel drag racer and an airline pilot. So that's gonna be a little bit of a different person than than Joel. But thank you so much for listening, everyone, and just know that the hot rod farmers pulling for you, my beloved America, and all of everybody in agriculture. Have a blessed day. And stay safe. Catch you on the road next time.